Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the BitCast. It's me again, the Axeman, Alex. And today I'm going to talk about a game that just turned 20 this week with none other than... Me. Yes, my brother. <laughs> oh, just imagine if this was like some kind of cheesy YouTube review show. I'd probably try to do some kind of cheap intrigue and plotline or something that mirrors the plot of Metal Gear Solid or something. Right, right. I was almost tempted to just like after the recording, just like do some fake out phone call with a fake version of the president or something like Ocelot or whatever. <laughs> But yeah, we're going to talk about Metal Gear Solid, because that game's been on my mind lately, and it's the 20th anniversary of that game. So here we are. It's kind of funny. We have a weird history with the game. We both got into it at the same time, but independently of each other. We both just kind of thought, you know, this is kind of a neat game. And like after I was thinking that for a few weeks, I was just like, oh, Anthony, you're playing this now, I see. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of my friends were uh, talking about it, and I was like, hey, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's just a cool game and whatever, and next thing you know, I I was playing it. Oh, yeah, we like really got into the Metal Gear games at about the same time. You were playing one, well, Solid 1, and then you were playing Solid 2, and then Solid 3. Then we couldn't play Solid 4 for a really long time. No, not until we got a PS3 Many years after the rest of the world got one, and you got it after I like bought it for you, and then you never did end up playing five, but you played a little bit of Revengeance. A little bit. It was too far off the beaten path for me. Mm. Meanwhile, that's the only one I've actually played. I think, as far as the other Metal Gear Solid games, the most I can say I've done is I shot the boss in the face for you one time in, at the end of three. <laughs> I remember that. I killed her. I couldn't do it. It's no good. I can't do it. <laughs> uh, the Metal Gear games are like Star Fox 64 levels of quotable, so might bust out some of those without even meaning to. A meme farm waiting to happen. Oh yeah, the, the game even talks about memes unironically, like in the original definition of the term. Kind of saying or phrase that travels and changes between people. But, like, it doesn't have anything to do with genetics. It's just memetics. Yeah, exactly. It's most prominent in Metal Gear Solid 2, but they go over it again, like, throughout the series. I think the other one that they talk about it a lot is one of the levels in the middle of Revengeance. So, basically, the Raiden games. Raiden gets the memes. <laughs> and they're well-deserved. Yes. So, Metal Gear Solid really changed a lot of the gaming landscape for the time. It was one of the first games to really emphasize a cinematic experience with all the cutscenes and the style that, even though they all looked like kind of weird Play-Doh figures back then, they still had a lot of personality to their designs, their voices, their movements. Hey, if your story's good enough, you can make people look past any kind of graphics. Yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning that at the time, that was the best they could do, especially with all the other stuff they had to fit in with the game. And I think people still like it, because whenever they try to reference the original Metal Gear Solid, they go for 
that style more than they go for the Twin Snakes style. Yeah, Twin Snakes is... It's not... No. (laughs) We'll get to that a little bit later. It had a lot of details that really changed based on how you played, like how the rations would freeze if you were in cold areas for too long. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, like, the dogs would start to accept you if one of them peed on you, because yeah. now you have their scent. Yeah, and the sniper rifle aiming would be a lot easier if you took the pill that calmed Snake's heartbeat. Or the ever-so-realistic swallowing an entire pack of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Then there's other stuff, like how the game ranks, how many times you got caught, and how many soldiers you kill. All in the hunt for that elusive big boss ranking. And Psychomantis basically reading your report card to you. It's kind of an early example of the game keeping track of what the player does. That's the kind of thing that people laud Undertale for, but there were games that would do that kind of thing way before then, and Metal Gear Solid was one of them. I mean, Undertale, really, being native to the computer really lends itself to being read out creepy details about yourself, and it was kind of neat that they could do something as uh, limited as the, as the PlayStation. Because, I mean, back then it didn't hold as much details about you, the player. Yeah, especially because the game came on two discs, Metal Gear Solid did. Yep. So they had to not only have all that detail and memory stuff in the first disc, they had to do it on the second disc, too. Mm -hmm. This game really set the bar for the rest of the series, because prior to that, we just had Metal Gear 1 and Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, and those were a little more straightforward action hero stories. There was still more of a stealth emphasis than you'd come to expect, but this was the game that started a lot of the intrigue and introduced a lot of the characters who would become staples in some ways metal gear solid could even be considered kind of a soft reboot of the series because the game itself while referencing the past entries kind of copies them too oh yeah definitely especially with the whole gray fox thing and the fact that metal gear solid 2 copies metal gear solid 1 on purpose and that's a plot point just kind of speaks to how popular Metal Gear Solid is, while the first two games are just kind of sitting in obscurity. Didn't we have a copy of one of the Metal Gears, and we just never played it? Like for the NES? I don't remember ever coming across that, no. Well, I mean, it seems like a good move that they moved it to the third dimension and kept going with the series, because... Clearly, it's going to be able to grab a larger audience, so they had to retell the story so that everyone would be on the same page. That's true, and even if Metal Gear Solid 1 isn't meant to be a reboot of the series, they still do a good job of keeping players up to speed. You generally know the big plot beats of Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2. Solid Snake, he beat Big Boss, he beat Gray Fox... He stopped Outer Heaven and saved Zanzibar Land. That's about it. That's all you really need. Right, right. I think they reference one of the scientists from the first two games in Metal Gear Solid 4, but that was just kind of a fluff fan service reference. But now, war has changed. Oh, yeah. So, Anthony, you're really the one who played this game. I just kind of sat back and watched for all of it. Did you have any particular favorite moments that stuck out to you? Uh, the one that I can immediately think of is when you're stuck in the jail cell. 
I personally never figured out that uh, you can just lay down and use the ketchup, even though that is explicitly what the game tells you to do. I, <laughs> I'm not so good at, I wasn't so good at tapping those years ago, so I just lost and then got, got broken out by Gray Fox, I think it was. Oh. Yeah, and that was pretty cool, and I played the game over and over again just to find out all the different things I could do it. Like, did he actually show up and was like, Snake, you're, you're kind of killing me here, I'll let you out now, or did it just, like, happen off screen and it's just like, hey, is that the ninja over there? Well, it's kind of creepy. Like, the way they show it, there's Solid Snake looking at the door, Gray Fox just kind of shows up out of nowhere because he's got that stealth camo, mm -hmm. then he disappears, and you hear the unlocking sound, and that's it. Wow. That's actually kind of nice, because that gives Gray Fox a little more relevance in the game. Yeah, and I kind of wish that they actually went with it that way, because otherwise he's just this weird guy that gets off on fights. Yeah, they. there's actually something interesting about that, but we'll get to that later. But I actually didn't know Gray Fox could bust you out. Really? Well, I, I read about it, but like that's something I read about a few days ago. I think either uh, Otacon helps you to make Johnny do it, or it's Gray Fox. Yeah, Otacon gives you the ketchup that you can use to fake Johnny out. I mean, I was so confused, because, like, he'll give you the ketchup, and if you don't use it, Gray Fox will show up. So I'm just sitting there, thanks, Otacon, now I can... <laughs> <laughs> now I can make burgers. Cool. Thanks, dude. Snake, remember the basics of BBQ. <laughs> well, that was a picture I saw somewhere. That's a good one. But, yeah, the game really thrives on details and just kind of accounting for different possibilities of the player. Like, in some games, they would just expect you to figure out the catch-up thing, and if you don't figure it out, too bad, you gotta. Well, I mean, there's no denying that Hideo Kojima thought so much about this series and about this game. Like, he changed stealth as a genre. Oh, yeah, he really did. It's... Like, Metal Gear is up there with, like, Kingdom Hearts as being one of the most detailed series. And not quite the same way, but still, it's kind of crazy just what's going on in his mind. I was once trying to uh, play Metal Gear Solid while one of my friends from college watched. And I was like, okay, well, I better read him a quick synopsis on the first two games so that they can be caught up. And golly, I must have been reading for 15 minutes before... <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is 30 more pages. I'm not... <laughs> it's too much. What did they think of that? I'm pretty sure they just stopped paying attention a couple minutes in. <clears throat> Can't really blame them for that. Oh, not at all. It's a big story. Which one were you playing? The first one, Metal Gear Solid. Oh. The third one. I think, well, I think I summed up the first two games pretty well in this podcast. Well, yeah, but I was, like, trying to have a theatrical element to it and, like... Uh. Oh, so parachuted from the plane and my boots touched down on the ground in the jungle without making a sound. Oh, yeah, that's what happens when we're when we're a creative family. Yes. A snake and his friends, there a lot of them are introduced in this game. Colonel and Master Miller were both introduced in Metal Gear 2, which I don't think was originally released in the Western Hemisphere. Nope. No, so this is a lot of people's first exposure to those characters. Meryl was also introduced in Police Knots, but this was her Metal Gear debut. 
and I'm not really sure if that means Police Knots is in the same canon or not, but... Oh yeah, there's a big poster of it in Otacon's office. Yeah, but does that mean that... Like, what does that mean? Does that mean just, like, Colonel was just a big Police Knots fan and he named his daughter after her or something? I mean, there's sufficient reason to believe that they do exist in the same universe, but I don't know enough about Police Knots to back that up. Like, Snake, did I ever tell you how much I like Police Knots? (laughs) Yeah, Snake and his friends are just... It's really nice that you can just kind of call them at any time, and they'll have different things to say based on the situation. It's just one of those examples of the game being true to life in the details. They really expand upon that in further games, what with there being more memory, obviously. But they do give them some more character in their... Like, uh, the DARPA chief. When he was younger, what was his name? Sigint? Sigint! Sigint has a lot to say about a lot of stuff, and not all of it's related to weapons. Not all of it's not related to weapons. But uh, he's got so much personality, and you could spend hours trying to figure out all the things he has to say for all the situations he can get into. Oh yeah, they really did that. They kind of give you fewer and fewer contacts as the series goes on. Yeah. But it's still nice that you have like this wide range of characters to call. Like Most of the time... It's going to be Colonel, Mei Ling, Otacon, and the Master. Everyone else just kind of comes and goes. Also, if you can hear, like, the hail outside, it's kind of stormy right now. Intermission. Sorry, got scared of tornadoes for a second there. Uh, we, we can't really be sure what the weather is like, because, you know, in Missouri, anything could happen at any time with the weather. We got summer, then spring this year. It was kind of weird. And there's the Foxhound members, who are your villains in the game, and they're probably the most remembered of all the villain groups in the series. Yeah. Like, we've got Decoy Octopus, who's probably the least remembered of these most remembered guys. But it's kind of interesting what they tried to do with him. I wish they would have gone into more detail in-game about who he was and what he did, why he did it, but, I mean, that's just circumstance. That's how Snake saw him, so that's how we saw him. Yeah, and, you know, the whole point of Decoy Octopus is that he's not his own person. He's usually someone else, so his own backstory isn't really a part of him. We never even got a 3D model of him. I think... I think there might have been, like something that was implied to be him in, like, a flashback at one point, or I was looking at someone else. It's a little hard to make out. But you, you do get to learn a little about, bit about him if you read into some of the supplementary material. And there's uh, Psycho Mantis, who's usually everyone's favorite. Not mine. He wasn't your favorite? Nah, he's too creepy. Oh, I, he was my favorite. Well, I mean, you know the recipe for a perfect warrior, right? Take some... PTSD-induced child of war and just give him superpowers. That'll be easy to control, right? Well, I mean, he, he stuck with Liquid to the very end. He I, did. He sure e- did. Even in 4, he came back as a ghost under Liquid's regime, and he, he was still trying to mess with, like, your vibration and your memory card and stuff. And he couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Yeah, he's well, probably, like, one of the most widely remembered parts of the gameplay of And one of the standout examples of how the game can be based on the player's details with how he'd read the memory card. Right, right. 
even in the Twin Snakes, they kept that alive by being like, Oh, you've been playing Smash Bros. Melee, haven't you? I believe they added him, because he, he, this was in the trailers, so it's not really a spoiler. I believe they added his child form in Phantom Pain. They didn't do too much with him in there, but it's just kind of interesting to see them acknowledge him one more time. Mm -hmm. Especially since that's so far the last game in the series. Yeah. Sniper Wolf. Love does bloom on the battlefield. Yeah. Like, her her death is usually considered one of the big sad moments of the series, and it kicks off the tradition of women in Otacon's life dying in front of him. I don't remember what uh, YouTube video it was I saw, but there was her line, like, I fell asleep to the sound of screams on the battlefield, and it shows those fake, like, 90s cassettes as screams of the battlefield. Oh, wow. That's, that's that's darkly funny. Yours now for only fourteen ninety five. I watch it's just like like it's actually death metal instead. It's like yeah, <laughs> I, I can't do a death metal impression, but but that was what she was talking about all along. Yeah, she just loves death metal. Yeah, you know she has hobbies: guns, wolves, death metal. Not Otacon. Not Otacon. But she didn't. She didn't seem too adverse to Otacon. But they do try to play up the fact that it's more Stockholm Syndrome than anything with him. Oh, definitely. I rewatched an entire playthrough of the game, and that includes her death, and yeah, it was still a little sad. I was more sad for her than Otacon, to be honest. Oh yeah, because she's dying. Yeah, but I think, I feel like the game kind of wants you to feel sad for Otacon, and it's just like, oh, sucks, but, you know. Sorry, bud. You know, she's kind of dying. I'm kind of more upset about that than you being heartbroken. Yeah. That, that's kind of a problem that that they all seem to focus on Otacon whenever he's going through the obligatory lady in Otacon's life dies scene. Oh my goodness. Like... That could be a trope in itself. I think it is. It's just not called whatever I just called it. But like, I remember in 4, they have a scene like that, and he's like, no, just when I fell in love again. It's just like... Really, Otacon? You gotta make this about you right now? Ugh. Vulcan Raven is probably the member I kind of remember the least. Are you serious? He's great. Oh, I mean... Uh... I remember him the least. I felt so smart when I found out that I could just set up some Claymore Mines and he'd just lumber on over and blow himself up. Uh, that, that's actually kind of a trick you could use on one of the bosses in one of the first two games, if I recall correctly, against the Running Man. I wouldn't be surprised. It's a smart strategy. Yeah, it's a smart strategy for a dumb boss. Right, right, right. They try to play up how smart Vulcan Raven is, and then he steps on mines by mistake. But let me tell you, walking into that freezer for the first time and having to dodge his minigun in those teeny narrow walkways, that was... I don't think that was a minigun, that was a Vulcan cannon. Minigun. It was a mega gun. It was actually... It, it was like he... Jack, he took it off a helicopter, and he's just so strong he can hold it in his hands. It's actually called a Vulcan cannon in some cases. They're all named after their weapons. Alright, it's a big gun, and it shoots very fast, and there wasn't a lot of room to dodge. Yeah, and then he gets eaten by ravens as he dies. Yes. He's like, my spirit will always be watching you, Snake. Even in the bathroom. Especially in the bathroom. And... Ocelot, we, we, we can't leave Ocelot out. Yeah, we can. <laughs> okay. 
So the fence. <laughs> okay, you, Ocelot. You don't think he's pretty good? <laughs> I like how uh, he was introduced already as an old man. Yeah? But I don't know if he should have been as old as he was. But it kind of... Okay, I don't know what I'm saying. Well, he was a young man in the Cold War. He was, but that means he was already, like, what, 22? So he was born in, like, the 40s? He was born on the invasion of the Normandy beach. Like, right there on the beach. Of course he was. Uh, and that was in the 40s, so that would make him, like, 50-something by the time Metal Gear Solid rolls around. Uh, yeah, Metal Gear Solid takes place in an alternate version of 2005. I thought it was 06. Uh, it was 05, but, yeah, close enough. And then eight years later, when he's pushing 60 and all liquided up... yeah. Guns of the Patriots takes place in an alternate 2014, which is, in real life, the year you finally played the game. And the year I graduated high school. Yeah, th this is actually the year Metal Gear Rising takes place. Really? 2018? Yeah, and we've we've got no cyborg wolves running around. That means he did his job. Oh. No mooing robots on giant legs. No Patriots, at least as far as we know. Right. Plenty of people dying to guns. And Liquid Snake. Liquid! What do you think of Liquid? He's kind of one of the most fondly remembered villains of the series. Uh, golly, was he smart, but I kind of wish that he, like... <sighs> he was smart unless it came to genetics. Yeah. I think they actually retconned it so that, like, the Patriots and their control of information gave out bogus reports of genetics so that people in the universe didn't understand it, so that's why Liquid had it wrong. Right, right. Mm, I, th there's stuff I want to say about Phantom Pain and Liquid, but I know you didn't play that game, so I can't really go into it. Uh, I don't think it... It kind of explains some things about Liquid, but I'm not gonna... It's nothing essential to Metal Gear Solid 1, I think. I kind of wish Liquid didn't become sidecar to Ocelot's body. That just felt kind of cheap to me. Yeah, I'm not really sure what they were going for with that in 2. In 4, it makes a little more sense. Like, in 4, it's explained that Liquid wasn't really taking over Ocelot. Ocelot just hypnotized himself into it to fool the Patriots. But I think in 2, it was genuine. Yeah. Rick Cunning, they... I think they just wanted to bring Liquid back in some capacity. Kojima's a fan of retconning to make things more attuned to what they want and have in mind for the story at it's, the time. Liquid is probably one of the most quotable villains, too, in oh, the series. Oh, yes, definitely. Big Boss, he's not really quotable until he's a protagonist, so I don't count that. Big Boss is basically just Snake. He's, he's kind of a dumber version of Snake. In some capacities, yes. Well, I mean, the, the social. But he also got to actually live to be an old age. Yeah, he did. Even, like, he died so many times, but didn't actually die until, like, the end of 4, like, the tail end. When he was freeze-dried in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, just, just a giant glad bag. So, there were a lot of things about Metal Gear Solid 1 that changed around in development, we were going to talk a little more about Gray Fox. There's a thing that I read about last night. I'm not entirely sure how fitting it is, but it kind of makes sense to me, is that Gray Fox wasn't originally going to be in Solid 1. Oh, yeah? 
Yeah, but Kojima saw this character designer that was working on the game just draw a cyborg ninja in their spare time. Kojima liked the design so much that he wanted that person to be in the game, so he had enough time to rewrite parts of the story to give Gray Fox more of a role. And that's how Gray Fox is in the game. And looking back, well, like I said, I don't know how true this is, but... When I looked back on it, Gray Fox is kind of detached from everything else. And apart from helping you against Rex, he could be taken out and not a whole lot would be different. Someone else could have warned you about the Claymore Mines. Someone else could have begged you to hurt them more, Snake. Yeah. And like, you could have skipped that boss fight in Otacon's office. You could just meet up with Otacon and that'd be the end of it, but... Well, I guess there's also the fact that he chopped off Ocelot's hand, which leads to the whole Liquid's arm thing in later parts of the series. That's by far one of the hardest boss fights in that whole game. Is Gray Fox? Gray Fox. Oh yeah, he had that nasty trick when he dies and electrocutes himself and tries to take you with him. Right, right. How many times has that taken you out? Eight or nine easily. Mm. But... Yeah, Gray Fox, I kind of have more of an appreciation for him now than I did back then. I thought he was just, you know, angsty guy who, sorry you have to be like this, but I don't really care. But Neither of the hunters lived long enough to be related to Otacon, and that was their downfall. I kind of wish Gray Fox and Naomi Hunter both lived longer, because that would make a pretty good sitcom. <laughs> Otacon and Naomi and their... <laughs> their robot ninja brother-in-law. Juiced up on robotics. Ugh, that's a fanfiction waiting to happen. Reminds me of my own sitcom for the Metal Gear series, based on the ending of Peace Walker. Their big boss tells Master Miller, is like, we're gonna go up against our most important adversary, the Times. And that just makes me think of them living as, like, washed-out celebrities in the 80s in an apartment together. <laughs> Maybe they can have a crossover with Otacon and Naomi's sitcom. Oh no, this game is the crossover. Oh, I see. Uh, there's the fact that in this game, they did kind of a neat thing that I hear is based on Japanese movies, is whenever a character is on screen for the first time, it'll show their name and also the actor portraying them. Mm -hmm. In the original version of Solid, it would use pseudonyms for most of the actors yeah. due to complications. Like David Hayter, whoever voiced the generic soldiers, Scott Dolph, I think his name was, and Doug Stone, the actor from Mantis... Those are the only ones who got to use their real names until Twin Snakes, when they started being able to use their real names in the credits. Because those three had nothing to lose, and they weren't afraid of a possibly horribly selling video game. I don't think that was the reason. I think it was just more, like, internal politics in the company. There's a lot of that in the voice acting world, because you've got the union voice actors who, I guess, aren't allowed to voice in certain games, so they'll secretly voicing them by using stage names or not being credited. Yeah, and there's weird legality about whether you're credited for the role and how much work you did for it. If you voice more than this amount of lines, you get paid more. There were elements of the game that they wanted to include, but couldn't, at least not until later games, like hiding in lockers and Snake's headband being a bandana. Yeah. There's also the laughing octopus fight in Solid 4 that incorporated elements from what they would have wanted to do with decoy octopus in that, 1. That fight was really hard, because she was so hard to find. 
Yeah, imagine if they did that in... Imagine if that was the first fight in one. I think they did the right thing waiting for four, because if they did it in one, there would have just been this green shape that you were supposed to tell yourself was not there. It's invisible. Like they do with Otacon and with the stealth camo. I like when games do that. They hold on to their ideas and then use them in later games. Nintendo's usually really good at doing that. Consistently taking old ideas and upgrading them and implementing them in better ways so that they make more sense for the player. Yeah. One thing I remember reading about was that Kojima originally wanted it to be where if you got a game over, the disc just doesn't work anymore and you have to buy Metal Gear Solid all over again. I've read that many times. It's a great strategy, but it does seem a bit cash grabby. Yeah, it's really... That's probably not what he had in mind for it, but that's what it comes across as. He was Candy Crush before Candy Crush was. This in-game purchase is another copy of the game. He had to have, like, sold Metal Gear Solid discs at a reduced price if he wanted to get away with that. Plus, that'd be a bigger production run, so they'd be more in the negative with all the sales they don't make, etc. Oh yeah, Kojima was an expensive guy. That's part of the reason why Konami eventually got rid of him. But hey, it paid off. Well, but it, it mostly paid off, I think. At the very least, they were smart enough not to do the disc thing. With right, Solid. right. One big thing about Metal Gear Solid is it gets referenced a lot in the later games, especially in 4, when there's a section near the end, uh, towards the late middle, I'd say, where you actually revisit Shadow Moses Island nine years later in-universe, and it's all dilapidated and rusted over, and you don't get to visit the whole island, but you can visit a lot of the old rooms updated to look really old and dark. PS3 version. You played through that. Did you have any, like standout memories of like, oh yeah, it's this room, or oh yeah, this is where that happened. Well, even though we did have to wait a long time between playing 3 and 4, it's not like I just stopped playing, so I still had all of these fresh in my mind. It was really cool to see how they uh, uh, played the voice clips over again, how they changed things to show the time. Honestly, the biggest change for me was the camera. Oh yeah, the camera. It was weird to see a bunch of rooms from angles I'd never seen them before. Because Metal Gear Solid 1 was predominantly overhead, while the later games... Switched to third person. Yeah. Including Twin Snakes. Ugh. It's kind of interesting going back to Shadow Moses and seeing all these things that weren't there before. Like, you know, Raiden joins you at one point. It's like, whoa, you weren't in the game, but now you're here. It's, it's, it's a kind of dorky thing that only I would probably care about. But I just kind of like seeing the, the new and the old together like that. Kind of interesting, I guess, since we already talked about Naomi dying, is that she's there with you in the Rex room when that happens. That's the same room where Gray Fox died in one. Yeah. So they got to die in the same room. It's kind of weird. And that was one of the hardest fights in MGS4 against uh, Vamp right next to Rex. Oh, yeah. You fight Vamp, and then Raiden takes over, and the game does a weird split screen so you can kill the Geckos while he fights Vamp. And, like, you see them both happen, and it's really weird. Like, you can't... <sighs> it's kind of the game going too far and trying to preserve the cinematic experience. It's like, they, they, they know you want to watch Vamp and Ride and Fight, but they still want to make you do the gameplay, so it's it was a weird very, compromise. 
It was very real time and something that usually only works in movies, but because you're controlling the action on one screen, you're going to be paying attention to that one more. And if you decide to split your attention for a half second, you have to do the whole thing all over again. Yeah, I, I was kind of the lucky one because I was just watching you do that. I got to see both screens. Must have been really exciting to watch me fail time and time again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I still kind of generally lean towards your half of the screen, though. But, uh, yeah, it's really neat that they were able to revisit Solid 1's setting in Solid 4. I believe they were originally going to just have you go through an ice level, but they decided to play to nostalgia instead. I think... One of the small details that people latched onto unexpectedly was the initial surveillance camera. Like, you first come across that in the heliport area of Shadow Moses in the first game. It's like, a surveillance camera! Yeah, as if you wouldn't expect that on this mission. Use a chaff grenade. Yeah. And then in 4, is like, there's the old surveillance camera, and they even give you one of the game's flashbacks to the original surveillance camera, and then it rusts off and falls and breaks. And it's just kind of, wow, it's been that long. And then there's even the codec call, like, Otacon's like, admit it, Snake, you were getting worried when you saw that camera for a second. I was like, no. He's like, yes. Yeah. Like, no. That was probably a lot of people's favorite part of the game. Probably mine, too, if I could be honest. Uh, when he's waking up in the helicopter on the way there, and his face is pixelated for a second. Oh yeah, because they make you replay the heliport in a nightmare briefly. Yeah. I believe the heliport part of Shadow Moses is where the stage in Smash Brothers takes place. From 4 or 1? Well, from... Well, well, from 4, because that... Well, it's from... Well, it's technically it's from 1, but it's got the UGs from 4. UGs is what they refer to as the... Metal Gears and the Geckos. They've they've got Geckos in Smash Brothers Brawl before Solid Four. It's, it's kind of like, like pulling a Roy from Melee. Yeah. Now, the ending of the game is a little different based on whether or not Snake submits to the torture mini game or not. In what's considered to be the good ending, Meryl wakes up from being a hostage, and she and Snake get out while Otacon tries to buy Snake and Meryl some time to escape, and then. Everything turns out fine, as after they escape from a tunnel with Liquid chasing them one last time. In what's considered to be the bad ending, Meryl is dead, Otacon shows up, is like, Snake, it's okay, now let's go. And they escape with Liquid in the tunnel chasing them instead, and you get a different prize based on which one. If you get the Meryl ending, you get the infinite ammo headband, Otacon gives you his optic camouflage. Always save Otacon. Every single time. So you prefer the Otacon ending. Well, save Otacon first every time, then on the next playthrough, Meryl, then you have both. That, that is true. It's... it's a lot easier to get through MGS1 with the optic camo because they don't do what they do in future games. That being that if you just bump into an enemy, it won't fall off. Ah. Uh... And they still can't see you. It's pretty great. Yeah, it really invites replayability because the reward carries over into a new game plus plus then uh gray fox looks like the crimson chin i did not know that i know if you do the game enough times snake gets a tuxedo yeah that's pretty fun i remember one time you were fighting rex on your second playthrough i believe and this was the night i went to my junior prom so i left 
I came back, you were fighting Rex again, but you were in the tuxedo, so it's like, you went through the whole game while I was at prom? I remember that. That was a very intense day for me. <laughs> Which ending do you prefer between the two? Otacon. I also prefer the Otacon ending. Well, they make that 2001 A Space Odyssey reference, and it's pretty great. Yeah, like, I, I like the Meryl ending too, but, you know, Snake and Otacon is a more iconic duo. The, I, I can't not support that ending. Bro TP. Yeah, I mean, they get a handshake with, that's like the Konami code. He doesn't get that with Meryl. Not even a passionate night of pants on hugging. <laughs> oh, that, that that was Solid 3. That was Snake Eater. Yeah. Big Boss had game. He got further than Solid. The ending of one, I prefer the Otacon ending, and I feel like I feel like the series in general does that too, because Otacon gets way more attention than Meryl does. She didn't show up again until four. Otacon doesn't even get close to dying. Not really, no. He's pretty safe the whole series. Yeah. I mean, not emotionally, but... Oh, no. They mention him in Rising at one point. Oh, yeah? Yeah, late in the game, you meet Sunny again, the girl that Otacon and Snake took care of in 4, and she's a little older now. Raiden can talk to her about Otacon, and says like, oh, he's going out a lot more, getting a lot more dates, but he keeps them all at arm's length, and it's like everyone's joking, but they're all gonna die. Do you think she finally figured out how to cook a sunny-side-up egg? Well, yeah, she did it in 4. Naomi taught her. Yeah, like, cover it, salt it, and then cover it for one minute, then come back. Should be done. Egg advice on the BitCast. It doesn't work. It's too runny. Never mind. <laughs> uh, teaching Sunny how to cook was so important to Naomi that that was what Naomi needed to hear in her dying moments from Raiden. That was her character arc. Teaching Sunny how to make an egg. That's my character! I teach her how to cook the eggs! And then I die. And then... I throw Otacon's tears all over, all over the scene. Uh, let me let me just wedge that It's Always Sunny reference in a little further, where it doesn't belong. Uh, it'd be important to point out how they did remake Solid 1 for the GameCube as the Twin Snakes, based on the engine from Metal Gear Solid 2. And you are not a fan of it, from what I've heard. No, they cut out a lot, and it's a little more family-friendly. And Well, what? They they put in uh, first-person aiming, and that's not supposed to be an MGS1. How family-friendly of them to put in first-person aiming! Right? Oh, no, that's part of... I actually read about it. Metal Gear Solid 2's gameplay transplanted into 1 does make the game a lot easier, a lot more playable. Now, Shadow Moses Island wasn't designed with that in mind, so it does kind of break the game. But I heard that to compensate for that, they beefed up the guard's AI. Yeah. I do know that they adjusted the soundtrack a bit. They got rid of a lot of the iconic music. But one change I do kind of like was how Mantis's unique boss theme in Twin Snakes incorporates his mind control music. Uh -huh. I thought that was kind of a neat reference. They changed a lot of the accents for the characters, which people didn't like. But if you pay attention to the characters' backstories, it kind of makes sense for them not to have the accents. Yeah. And then in Solid 4, when the characters reappear, they don't have the accents there either. Even in Brawl, Mei Ling didn't have her accent anymore. She was born in the United States, even. Yeah. 
One thing that people are always criticizing is the cutscenes in Twin Snakes, how they're a lot more over the top in the blocking. Yeah. They'll do a lot more unnecessary flips and jumps and stuff. Yeah. Kojima wanted those to be in that version of the game because the person responsible for that, I think it was like Ryuhei Kitamura or something along those lines, was like an action movie director or blocker or something, was brought in to work on Twin Snakes. And Kojima really liked his style, so he's like, oh, no, no, do do that for Twin Snakes. No, don't make it like the old solid one. Do it like this instead. So th- that was Kojima's fault. Gotta get those flips and stuff in. You know how them Kojimas is. I guess the last thing to talk about, going back to the original game, is the music. There's not a whole lot of music in the game. It just kind of makes use of the same songs a lot but i think it's kind of effective really a lot of the music i think it's really effective because i can't think of any on the top of my head but i know if i were to hear it i would instantly be back in shadow moses island yeah they use the same boss theme for all but two encounters in the game even the final fist fight with liquid just gets the standard boss theme but because of the way the game is it just kind of works you know it's well, hard to explain, because usually I'm a proponent for everyone gets their own boss theme, but it kind of works making it more uniform and not making too many exceptions in this one. Well, I mean, plenty of games are guilty of that. I mean, Twin Rova gets the same music as Goma. Yeah. I don't know. Well, there is one unique boss theme. It's the second half of the Rex fight after Gray Fox sacrificed himself. And it's just the same song, but with more oh, oh, in the song. More Gregorian chants. Yeah, and they reuse it for the escape sequence with whoever's with you and Liquid chasing you. How did Liquid think he was the inferior one if he could survive a lot more than Snake? Oh, they told him so. Yeah, but, like, it never occurred to him that maybe they were lying. Nope. He takes everything at face value. That's one of his character flaws. <laughs> yeah. A character flaw. I gave Rex a character flaw. Do you like that snake? That, that was my bad Otacon voice. Man, Rex Mark 1 was way too big. Rex Mark 2, though. Otacon wasn't looking to make some giant World War 3 inducing monster, but. No. Hey. I, we should probably talk about the, the vocal song of the game, The Best is Yet to Come. There's usually at least one vocal song per game. And the best is yet to come. Kind of has, like, the authentic local Alaskan feel to it. Was that the credit song? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't remember that. Oh! <laughs> it's this beautiful song, and it plays at the end after everything's unwinding. You don't even remember. They played it during the outside sequences when you came back to the island in 4. Well, shoot, by the time, I'm, by the time I get to that song, I'm so juiced on finishing the game that I just kind of... Go away. You should probably listen to it sometime. <laughs> but it's kind of funny, it has the same title as a Frank Sinatra song, so whenever that comes up on my iPod, I think, is this Metal Gear? Oh, no, no, it's just Frank. Not even Frank Yeager. Frank Yeager. Gray Fox. Snake's character development, I want to say, is really good. He's kind of your typical edgelord at the start of the game, but... He softens up to the more familiar snake we know by the end. He's just anonymous enough to project yourself onto. Yeah, which kind of feeds into what they were trying to do with the second solid game. 
and with the way he talks, repeating everything that they say. What I was trying to say is I like how, at one point, Meryl's trying to glean any information she can off Snake right after the Mantis fight. He's like, how old are you, Snake? Old enough to know what death looks like. That is a needlessly edgy answer. You can't just say, like, the, the 30 or something. You're just, I'm old enough to know what death looks like. Next time someone asks me how old I am, I'm going to say that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound as gruff as Snake as possible. I was there when they invented dirt. Yeah, I remember that. Good times. Well, I think that's about the end of the episode. Is there any advertisement or anything you kind of want to make? No. Okay. Metal Gear Solid 1 It's 20 years old at this point. You can probably play it on the PS1 or anything. It's not, it should be too hard to find. You know, there's also the Twin Snakes, which hit or miss, you know, it has its own strengths over the PS1 version, and the reverse is also true. And if you like the BitCast, you can subscribe to it on the Podcast One website and the Podcast One app. You can also find the episodes on iTunes. And with that, I will see you on the next one. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.